Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Romero's who are misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Thank you. It's been a while since I've done a live show with Sid. Haven't missed that. <laughs> Haven't missed that little kick in the ego. Uh, it's the beginning of my live performance. How y'all doing, Columbus? We love it here. I know. I'm so excited to be here. One of our, we love Columbus anyway, but one of our favorite places. First Wendy's. It's kind of um, a religious thing for us. We used to go to the first (laughs) Wendy's and just kind of like think WWDD, what would Dave do, you know? One of our other favorite places, other than the first Wendy's, Uh, is right here in Columbus, and that's COSI. Very important, very important spot to us. If you grew up in Huntington, West Virginia, you went to Cincinnati for concerts, and you went to Columbus for science. It was the closest science to us. Um, So it was a real thrill. That's sadly true. No, we, we, we went to the old, anybody here ever go to the old downtown location of COSI? Yeah. Hey, don't forget to get your prostates checked, everybody. I mean, as long as I've got a captive audience here, all of you that just cheered, don't forget. All you dirty dogs out there knew what we were talking about. You were yeah. like, oh, I know those exhibits at COSI. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I checked those out when I was no, a preteen I many I'm, times. I meant because they're old. Oh, I thought you meant that, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is a really cool prostate exam exhibit there. And a testicle exam and a breast exam. And you can squeeze a whole ball sack, no problem. <laughs> they let you do it right there. They let you do it a lot, but they hey, there is They encourage you to. <laughs> there is an alarm that goes off if you do it too long. <laughs> I don't know the exact number, but just be careful. Uh, I was inspired by COSI. I saw that they have a new exhibit. We're, we're going to get to go there, which I'm really excited. It's been forever since we've been to COSI, and the kids are really excited. But I saw that they're doing a special King Tut exhibit. And I thought, is that something, I like, is there something tied into medical history? And it turns out that a lot of people have spent a lot of time Uh, trying to figure out what happened to King Tut, what exactly, what kind of illnesses may he have had, and 
how eventually did he die? There has been a lot, like we are talking medical workups that like I know my insurance doesn't cover and most of ours wouldn't. King Tut has had. So I thought that that was worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You think? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I don't understand why it's important why he died. It was so very long ago. Why are we so fixated on it? We are very fixated on it. I mean, lots of papers written, lots of research done many times through the years to try to figure this out. Um, I will say that, and I know like for some people, like that was something they were into as a kid was learning about, not like all the pharaohs and, you know, about ancient Egypt. That wasn't necessarily my particular, you keep moving the table table. closer to me. I know, I know. It's very intense. And I feel I should preface this with a lot of what we have learned about not just King Tut, but like any time we've opened ancient tombs uh, or a sarcophagus or sort of disturbed the remains of the dead. Um, I think in, you know, our modern times, we're calling a lot of that into question, right? Like, why do we do that? (laughs) Is that okay? Shouldn't we go about it in a more respectful way than we did like in the 20s? And what do we do with the things we found? Because I think we all know now that 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 sort of like it belongs in a museum attitude, you know, should really be, well, but it belongs in a museum that is located in and curated by and owned and operated by. The place where it came from, maybe. Okay, so are you telling me medicine's biggest wet blanket is coming over to archaeology, too, to kill all the fun there? We can't have crystals. We can't tan our taints. And now in, and now we're canceling Indiana Jones, Sydney. <laughs> I'm not trying to cancel up. Indiana Jones. I'm not. I'm just saying <laughs> that perhaps those artifacts would be best left in their country of origin. Perhaps. Yeah. Yes. That is all I'm saying. You all laugh, but all the basketball rats come from uh, somewhere else. They're not even from here. You didn't even know that. We stole them, the Kosai <laughs> basketball rats. If you didn't, if you had never seen that at Kosai, you would have been so confused by that. The what? What is he saying? Rats, guys, they have rats that play basketball. I hope there's at least some of you in the audience tonight that are not from Columbus. They're like, honey, we gotta get over there. Are you hearing this? You really should. If there's astronaut ice cream, I'm sold. There is. So. No problem. uh, A Cracker Jack exhibit? You got it. King Tut. First of all, let's talk a little bit about, because I mean, I didn't, again, this was not like a particular area of interest for me. I had a lot of other obsessions. This just wasn't one of mine. So you may already know everything there is to know about King Tut. There are a lot of, uh, especially like kids who do and have always known this, even as adults, they've retained a lot of knowledge. Like, let me tell you about the boy King. Um, Not me, but I learned about it because we're doing this episode. Uh, He ruled over Egypt for only nine years. This started in 1333 BCE. Uh, He was only 10 years old when his father died and he took the throne and he was 19 when he passed away. Um, And even like his existence was a mystery for a while. As much as we have focused on like, how did he die? Who he was and who his dad was and what they did was a bit of a mystery um, because his dad Uh, was kind of, for the time, thought to be like a heretic. When he took power, he basically said, look, we have all these gods and goddesses. I'm doing away with all of them. I'm changing the game. We're going to monotheism. Uh, That we think, all of this is still, we're interpreting. But basically, he put one god above all others, which was 
totally new. Um, Everybody was kind of mad about that. He also moved the capital from Thebes. He moved it somewhere else, and he named it after his new god, Aten, that he wanted to put in charge of everything. Um, he also made a lot of changes to like the art and architectural style. I know that sounds like, why are you mentioning that? <laughs> he, he changed yeah. their religion, and he moved the capital, and you're like, also, <laughs> their artistic styles were very different. <laughs> um, but this actually does matter. I, I promise. Uh, so when he finally died and, and, and Tutankhamun, King Tut, took control of, of Egypt at 10 years old, uh, he basically reversed everything. So he went back and was like, I don't know what my dad was doing. I'm really sorry. I like the old art. It's fine. <laughs> I'm really fine. sorry about everything. And a lot of this was, as you may imagine, done through one of his royal advisors, who, by the way, would then ascend to the throne when King Tut died. So, you know, I, we could all question, like, who really wanted to... Either way, everything went back to the way it was. So it was sort of like these massive shifts and then just back to what it was. And that was it. And so then, after everything went back to, you know, the way it had been before, and King Tut passed away all of the next rulers sort of erased their names from the list of kings. Just kind of decided like, eh, it, they canceled each other out. <laughs> Maybe we just don't talk about that anymore. And so it took a while, there was sort of this understanding that there was this gap and like we don't know who was in charge and then we think we know who was in charge, but it took a while for us to figure out a lot about King Tut because for a while we didn't know even that he existed really. Um, now, of course, that would all change, uh, and this is sort of the part of the story where, um, you know, European archaeologists decide to go in and dig up lots of things that aren't theirs, uh, and that, this starts with an artist, a British artist named Howard Carter. So he had come to Egypt to actually initially, like, replicate, like, uh, ancient artworks that he had seen there, uh, but he was commissioned by a really rich royal guy, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. 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 <laughs> We're going to call him George. So George, that was that his, his name. name. His name okay, is George. Good. That's good. So George is really rich and royal and he's bored because he's got lots of stuff. He can have anything, right? He can, he owns tons of things, but he's not bored. A, not iPhone. He, no. He probably didn't have I that. I got one of those. He Take didn't that, have an iPhone. dude. <laughs> But he had all the other things he wanted, and he was like, uh, everybody else is getting to dig up tombs in the Valley of the Kings, and I want that too. But that seems like a lot of work. And so he paid Howard Carter to go in and say, like, dig up the Valley of the Kings, excavate some tombs. Well, I, want, I want my he own. He was just like, as long as you're there? So he, he was an artist, but he had, like, started to dabble <laughs> in other areas. Like working in these kinds of like, yeah, I can, I can deal, I can work with artifacts. Oh, I got that. Money, no problem. Yeah. I mean, cause at the time, like he wasn't doing the work, right? He was just paying people who actually live there to do all the work. So he, he got commissioned to go find a lost tomb. Um, and it took a while at the time to. <laughs> it being lost and all. It being lost. <laughs> it took a while to find it. Of course it took a while to like, he had to sort of convince the Egyptian government, which at the time, uh, people were willing to pay a lot of money to get to come in and excavate these sites. And so eventually it was like, well, we do, we need this money. We do need this in our economy. I guess we will take this. But they would set rules around it. Like they had laws passed to try to protect whatever was found. Like, listen, you can do this, but you can't take the stuff 
but it wasn't working. Like we all know that now. It wasn't working. And that was the deal that they would make is that, okay, you can, you can look for this lost tomb of, we think, King Tut. You can look for it, but whatever you find has to stay here. And he was like, absolutely, that is no wow. problem. And that was the story for a really long time <laughs> until eventually, like, you know, here in the U.S., the Met was like, sorry, we actually have like 19 things <laughs> that ended up here. Sorry about that. So... Uh, Today, everything, we think, has been returned. Um, but yes, many artifacts were lost during this process. So Carter starts digging. It takes him a long time. In 1922, he finally uncovers the tomb. Um, and there is so much to be found. You could do, I mean, this is not the podcast we do, but you could do, there were 5,600 items found in this tomb. Like, other than, obviously, King Tut was there, you know. <laughs> That's the big thing. A lot of pogs, <laughs> I would imagine. I'm, he's pretty into pogs. A lot of Pokemon cards. Do you count those as decks or just individual cards as part of the 5,600? I'm assuming individual items. You know, he was buried with his mouth. I knew, I thought I knew how it would feel saying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although... There will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the 
easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh my God. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Listen, you like podcasts, right? Sure you do. Don't try and lie to me. You're listening to one right now. So why not try a different one called R1, The Flophouse? Uh-huh. And on The Flophouse, we watch a movie and talk about it. And then sometimes we also do other stuff. It's all meant to be funny and fun, and we think you'll have a good time. And just to be clear, the name of the podcast is not R1, The Flophouse. It's just called The Flophouse. <laughs> I do a lot of correcting Dan. The Flophouse. A lot of correcting Dan. So, so a lot of the things, you know, you can probably imagine, we've seen sort of like the, the funeral mask, the gold mask, which, by the way, an interesting side note, was probably initially made with his mom in mind, but then he passed away first, so then it was sort of re, it was used by him instead. I know that's a bummer, isn't it? A little bit. Sorry, sorry about the bummer. Uh, but they found like, not just like jewelry, like stuff you would expect, lots of like, you know, jewels and things, but they also found like furniture, there were all kinds of like beds and fainting couches. There were fans made of feathers. Uh, there, there were um, solid gold sandals inside, like just all kinds of amazing riches. Among them, they also found two smaller mummies and part of the uh, research that we would do throughout the years to try to figure all this out, and of course they couldn't do this in 1922, but was to eventually connect the DNA. We did DNA analysis. Um, of these two smaller mummies with King Tut to figure out that these were his kids that were actually mummified. And, sorry. But <laughs> I know. I don't mean to be... I, what are the odds that they died the exact same time as him? Oh, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is a comedy podcast. Why would you include that? Why, Sid? I think I think the scope helps. Uh-huh. I'm trying to wrap my mind sure. around the uh-huh. ensuing medical, like the house episode that will follow to try to figure out what killed King Tut. Like, because really that's what we embarked on afterwards was to try to figure out like, gosh, this 19-year-old guy died a long time ago and I have to crack this case. And a, and a lot of time and money and effort will go into this. And I think part of that, it was this fascination with what was found initially. I think that as I'm trying to wrap my mind around like, why did we do all this? Part of it was this, we opened up this tomb and it was like nothing anybody had ever seen before. I, I think that that must be part of it. Um, and now, of course, there were their own like sort of medical kind of mystery connected to the opening of the tomb because there was this thought that a curse 
fell upon everybody who was present at the time. Um, Next you're going to tell me curses aren't even real. (sighs) (laughs) Specifically, uh, George, our rich Earl, who had paid for the whole thing. Of course, as soon as Howard Carter opened the tomb, he was like, you got to get down here. I found it. You're going to eat this thing. You're going to be so excited. (laughs) Got to get a bite Um, before he's all gone. We're all getting lots of vitality and youth. So he rushed down there, and while he was staying in Cairo, he actually died in his hotel room not long after arriving. <laughs> and, and what they think is that basically he got a mosquito bite that got infected, and then he got bacteremia, bacteria in his blood. He got like some sort of secondary infection, and then he died of that, which is pretty wild from a mosquito bite. So that is, that is, that is a why, I mean, you know, and there was this whole like other story that like at the same time that he died, like there was a, there was a power outage back home and also his dog died at the same time. time. Like, oh my I, God. I was about to make a joke <laughs> about a puppy dying and you're just like swoop right in there. Like dream no more. That happened too. And then. Carter's pet bird got killed, and it was like, it's a curse. When you when we were backstage, you were like, you said verbatim, don't worry, J-Man, I'm about to bring the yucks. And then you put your fist like this, and I pounded your fist. I don't, I feel like you have betrayed that pound, like that pound where you said you're about to bring the yucks. I think you said hardcore, if I remember correctly. Don't worry, J-Man, I'm about to bring the yucks hardcore. <laughs> Okay, okay, go on. I'm sure that we've passed the nadir, I have to imagine. Well, (laughs) I mean, we are going to talk about how King Tut died. (laughs) Okay. So I am sorry about that. Um, But in terms of the, (laughs) I mean, I I just think it's an interesting sidebar. Like, eventually what, what, like, we would look back at the people who were there when the tomb was opened and, like, who died when and how and kind of go... It all just seems, for the most part, like it's like the normal thing that happens to like humans, and it's not a curse. But like at the time, that was the bigger mes- medical mystery. Like even Arthur Conan Doyle was like, I think it's spirits from the tomb. <laughs> he did have a turn towards spiritualism late in life. Mm-hmm. That's not too surprising from late Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, coming in here with some some extra knowledge, some literary literary knowledge I know, uh, for us. Listen, you get on a medicine. Yeah. I know everything. Oh. <laughs> everything. I, I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know how I was going to end the sentence. I was as surprised as you are that I said everything. everything. Certainly that's not true. We know that, right? Like, you all known me for a, over a decade. That's not accurate. Nigh on 16 years now that I think on it, you know I don't know everything. Mm-mm. Definitely not directions. You still get lost, like, in our hometown, you know. And it's not big. <laughs> so, so, immediately after, so eventually Carter, like, it took a, it was a process, right? Like, they opened the tomb, and it was a while before he was able to open the sarcophagus. And it was in the autopsy that followed when they, when they, realized that King Tut had been so young, I think this is when, like, the quest for, like, oh, okay, 
what caused this? Is this a mystery that we need to solve? So a few clues were evident pretty quickly. Um, one is that we knew King Tut had an atypically formed foot. Um, this was thought to be, and th this was something that probably plagued him his entire life. Uh, this has been thought to be the result of something called uh, Kohler disease, which is basically when there's not enough blood flow to a certain bone in the foot, your navicular bone. And as a result, I mean, most of the time you just get like a lot of foot pain for a while and then it goes away. And that's usually it. Um, so it doesn't explain everything, but we think maybe he had that. We know that he struggled somewhat with walking because they found 130 walking sticks and canes. Very. <laughs> that seems like too many. A lot. Um, some did show evidence of use, as you may imagine. Many didn't. Many were just decorative. Um, so we know that he used some sort of device Wait, to assist him in walking. Oh, okay. Never mind. Sorry. Go on. What? He used them while he was alive. You mean? Yes. <laughs> did you? <laughs> nope. Nope. Keep going. Keep on going. Keep going. Did Sid. you think I was suggesting? <laughs> right this way, ma'am. Nothing to see here. Keep on going. Just keep on going. So this, this led to a theory that was really prevalent for a while where people said, well, he was probably injured in a chariot wreck and whatever injuries he sustained eventually resulted in his death. And the, the clues for this were simply that there are pictures of him riding in chariots. So, <laughs> so maybe. Um, but they also noted like, well, but you can see some other evidence, not just in his foot, but like there are these other places where it looks like some bones were broken. But what really complicates this whole story is that a lot of what happened um, when they were excavating the tomb resulted in a lot of other injuries and, and damage, you know? And so there's a lot of stuff in these early, like there were theories of, of some sort of wreck or we'll get into like there were murder theories. A lot of that is probably just the result of like Howard Carter's excavation team. Not really, I mean, he, this wasn't his area of expertise. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. And even after they did the initial autopsy, they sort of like brought him back and just left him there and then like poured paraffin wax and we're like this should do this should be fine and so it gets really hard to start to tell like what 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 did what did we do and what might have caused him to die so there was also this sort of like it was noted in the 60s because people continue to go back and revisit and look again and say well this chariot thing we don't have a lot of evidence for we need, to, we need to revisit this. What else do we think could have happened? So they, eventually they did some x-rays. That was our first sort of medical diagnostic study. We started easy. We started with some x-rays. Um, there was a, there a team from Liverpool uh, who did all these x-rays, and they found that it looked like there was some sort of hole made in his head. Uh-oh. He didn't listen to us. And there was a theory like, it was murder. <laughs> somebody bashed him in the head and that's we've solved it king tut was murdered and Everyone now the question was, <laughs> is by who but later on other other people who actually 
I mean, I think this is always the problem. Like, gosh, us doctors will think we just know about stuff that's way outside of our lane yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Because there were experts in like mummification processes who were like, that's just how you, that's what you do when you're going through a mummification. No, that hole was made after his death. We can tell. This is a normal process that would have been done. He wasn't, I mean, we don't know if he was murdered, but that hole was not. That's not murder. Um, it was also noted in the 60s, and this was a big mystery for a while, where everybody went, hey, um, we think his penis is missing. Mm. Uh, but that one was, that book was closed pretty quickly because then they looked and at And that's the, how he lost it? They looked at... What? How, how does this dude read? That's the wrong way to read. It shouldn't be anywhere near the book. <laughs> they looked back at pictures from the original excavation and they were like, no, it was there then. Which I guess is a whole other mystery because then for a while they were like, who stole it? Who? But then they just, it was in the sand nearby. They just found it. <laughs> so, but can I say, not until 2006. <laughs> This is a long time. How on... <laughs> Who is in the sand <laughs> that digging was... around and they're like, what in the... Hey, Kevin, do you know what I think this might be? Please don't laugh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> They, there were attempts made, especially as we, like, you have to imagine, like, as medical science was advancing, we were getting these new tests. Like, we were like, ooh, x-rays, we can do those now. What should we do with them? Do we have some mummies? <laughs> Let's x-ray them. Um, and then as we began to understand, like, blood typing and that, that sort of science, we were like, ooh, we got a bunch of mummies over here. Let's try to blood type them and figure out if they're all related. And, like, maybe we can pin down, because there was also this, this sort of side quest for King Tut's dad <laughs> that was happening because they thought like they thought they had found where he was buried, but he wasn't there. They don't think. And then they would look somewhere else and they were like, well, this isn't where he should be buried, but we don't know who this mummy is. And so there was this other narrative kind of going on. So they did these sort of blood tests like in 69 and 76 and 84. And they kept repeating the, I mean, these are all like published papers where they're like, well, we did a very important study <laughs> looking at the blood tests of these mummies. And here's what we think at this point to try to figure out like who was related to who. Um, eventually, this would move on to DNA testing, as I alluded to, to figure out like the, the other mummies that were present that were King Tut's kids. Um, and part of what threw off is they were sort of on this quest for like, okay, we're doing DNA tests, blood tests, but what ultimately, we don't think it was murder, we don't think it was a chariot wreck, what ultimately killed King Tut? Um, one thing that sort of sent everybody off in the wrong direction was were the artistic changes that I mentioned his dad had instituted. If you look at sort of the depictions of King Tut and his parents, they were very different than the artistic depictions from like the, the previous royal family. Um, and so there was this thought that maybe the way that they were drawn was because of some sort of genetic syndrome they had. And so they started theorizing all of these different genetic syndromes based strictly off of this artistic choice that King Tut's dad made. 
And that was a whole other paper that was published in JAMA, in the Journal of American Medical Society, in 2007, where they were like, okay, we looked, we don't see Marfan syndrome, we don't see craniosynostosis, we don't see Antley-Bixler, we don't, and like looked for all of these different genetic syndromes, and then finally they said, we think the art's just different. I, I... <laughs> They, they just drew them different for a while. <laughs> I wish they I could be in heaven with that guy when his friend's like, Craig, come here. They're looking through your pictures. Oh, what are they saying about him? Oh, man. Um, yeah, they're good. It's just that they think that maybe as a genetic... Yeah, they like them. They <laughs> said they're good pictures. You shouldn't come over here. Let's go back to the chocolate waterfall. <laughs> so eventually, a, a little over a decade ago, they, as they were doing these different DNA analyses, um, they did some CAT scans as well. So now, I mean, they've already x-rayed and they've done blood type and they've done DNA and now they're putting mummies in CAT scans, which I was reading like, I had to read this whole paper. I'm reading like, was it a mobile CAT scan? Tell me, I need to know, like, did they bring the mummies to the hospital? Did they bring the CAT scans to the mummies? How did they do this? It was a mobile CAT scan, in case you're curious. So I'm reading like, how did they do all these CTs on all of these ancient dead people? Like, what did they do? And so they did that, and they did find like there was definitely some kind of injury to his right leg that they think was consistent with something that may have occurred, like as a wreck or something. You can't tell for sure, but there was some sort of injury, and they saw so much damage to the bone that they started to think, huh, maybe this was like a chronic infection, like a bone infection, like what we would call osteomyelitis, and maybe King Tut was sort of fighting this infection for quite a while, um, we still don't know if that would have been a cause of death. It could have been, but the DNA test finally kind of gave us the last piece of the puzzle because when they were looking at the DNA to try to make like family trees, they also found the DNA of Plasmodium falciparum, which is malaria. And they said, oh my gosh, <laughs> King Tut had malaria. And so then they finally cracked the case. It was malaria all along. <laughs> Y'all are cheering for malaria? <laughs> and it was, it was, it made sense because he, he was immunocompromised by this other infection he had. He had some chronic medical issues. On top of that, he got a really bad case of malaria. And then uh, to add to the final piece of evidence, they looked around the tomb and there were lots of medicinal herbs from that time period that would have been used for these sorts of illnesses, for fevers and whatnot. Well, too little, too so late, all but all right. fit together. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Um, I want to say thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. We are going to take a brief uh, intermission, uh, so please go buy yourself uh, uh, a poster, if you would be so kind. Uh, they're really, I mean, I think they're really cute. Uh, that is going to do it for us, Sid. Anything else for you, bud? No, that's it. Thank you all. all. Right, that's going to do it for us. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Maximum 
Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.